Thank you so much, Pastor Vincent. It is an honor to be here with you this morning. I sense the presence of the Lord here in this place. I heard maybe five or six amens out there. Let me say it again. I sense the presence of the Lord in this place. The Lord was with us on Friday night, last night, this morning, and he will continue. I sense that he is orchestrating something of a revival in our midst. I think that God wants to use this place to touch the entire nation of Malaysia and even beyond the parts of Asia and around the world. How many of you want to see God's fire touch the rest of the world? Before we begin, I just want to say that I, it's just an honor and a privilege to be amongst you. I have to tell you that I'm going to get on the airplane probably 10 kilos heavier than I did when I landed. There's a spirit of eating in this country that has taken me over, and it's hard for me to resist such incredible food. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. Before we do, let me just mention briefly that I am an author, like Pastor had mentioned, and there are three books that are available after the service. One is called Become What You Believe. It is a book that is about the faith that moves the hand of God, the 10 characteristics of those who experience miracles today. There's a very limited number of copies of Breaking the Barriers. And finally, the last book is called The Seven Prayers God Always Answers. It's God's promises for everyone, everywhere, every time. These are the undisputable prayers that God always says yes to. And so if you find yourself in a situation where you desperately need God's hand to move, these are wonderful resources for you. As we begin, we're going to talk about the power to break the destructive patterns in your life. We're going to talk about breaking the destructive patterns in your life. For now, for those members of this leadership team that were with me in the World Congress in Singapore, they're going to have to endure about 80% of what they heard during that sermon in Singapore. Last night I had a message all together, and it was about 11 o'clock at night, and the Lord spoke to me, and he said, I do not want you to speak on what you planned on speaking. I want you to speak this message. And so from 11 to about 1 in the morning, I had the awesome privilege and honor of doing what the Lord told me to do, which was to put together his message for you this morning. So I'm going to share with you something of a study that was done about 100 years ago. It was conducted looking at the lives of two men who lived in the 1700s. And with your permission, I would like to read you this study that studied their lives and the descendants that followed them. The study looked at the effects of the lives of these two men upon their children and the generations that followed. One of them did not follow the laws of God and embraced a life of free sex, no rules and no responsibilities. The second man, however, was known for being disciplined. He became a pastor and led by strong example. He authored several books and preached to many people in his lifetime. But most importantly, he partnered with God and the decisions he made were a direct reflection of that partnership. He married a woman who had profound, deep spiritual convictions and a committed relationship with God. The results of the values of these two men upon the descendants or the generations that followed them could not have been more different. The first man had 1,026 descendants, of whom 300 were beggars, 50 were prostitutes, 7 were murderers, and 190 were prisoners. Hundreds were addicted to alcohol and drugs. 
Up into the 1950s, that family and all of its descendants had cost the state of New York $1.2 million. By contrast, the second man had 929 descendants, of whom 100 were ministers, 100 were lawyers, 65 were professors, 30 were judges, 13 were university presidents, 13 were mayors, 3 were U.S. senators, 3 were governors, and 1 was vice president of the United States. The first man rejected God, the second man partnered with him. One produced descendants who were a burden to society, the other created descendants who shaped society. One chose a life of debauchery, the other chose a life of discipline. One walked in self-destruction, the other walked in the blessings of God. The second man in the study, you will see him as his image in the screen, was the 18th century pastor and theologian Jonathan Edwards. He made a difference with his life, as did his descendants. Edwards left behind a great heritage that continues to this day, and if I'm not mistaken, the pastor Rick Warren is indirectly related to this theologian. If you look at your life, you examine your life, who you are, and you visualize that 100 years from now, the historians of Malaysia will write your story, what would you want them to say? What kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? What are you passing on to the next generation? And that is our topic today because the destructive patterns in our lives destroy the ability of the generations that follow us to walk in the blessings of God. But when we embrace the laws and we embrace what God has for us and we walk in his goodness, then we pass on the blessings of God for a thousand generations. I don't know about you, but I want to pass on the blessings of God to the generations that follow me. This is what it says in Exodus chapter 20. We're going to read God's top ten list, only the first two commandments we're going to cover this morning. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or, in the earth, or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. The first two commandments are, you shall have no other gods before me, and the second one is, you shall not make an idol in the form of anything whatsoever. I struggled with this because I asked myself, how could God punish the children for the sins of their fathers? And then I realized that God doesn't punish anyone because God doesn't, God doesn't teach children or younger generations to fall into sinful patterns. Parents and society pass on these things to the next generation. You ask me how? Because children, ladies and gentlemen, are like video cameras with legs. They walk around recording everything they see. And finally, when they grow up, they begin to repeat the same behavioral patterns that they saw while growing up. Which is why that Alcoholics Anonymous will tell you that 60% of those parents who are alcoholics who have children, 60% of those children will become alcoholics. The same was true with drug addicts. The same was true with porn addicts. The same was true with those who abuse. The same is true with incest. These things are passed down to the following generations. So if you want to pass on the blessings of God 
to the generations that follow you, I want you to take note. How many of you want to pass on the blessings of God to the generations that follow you? I want you to take note. Idol worship is one of the most secretive and destructive forms that we have that destroy the relationships those, those children have with God. An idol isn't just simply a statue. An idol is anything that you and I seek in our time of need instead of seeking God. So it's not just a statue that appears in a shrine. An idol can become a glass of vodka or a glass of whiskey that the alcoholic seeks on a habitual basis instead of seeking God. The same is true with drug addicts. The same is true with porn addicts. It's whatever that experience, whatever that addiction becomes, instead of seeking God during their time of need. So if you want to pass on the blessings of God, you want to break the cycle, the first thing that you must do is recognize the areas where you are bound. You have to take note of the areas where you bound. You have to make an inventory of the areas in your life where you are struggling, whether it is alcohol, whether it's drugs, whether it's pornography, whether it's food, whether it's money, whether it's materialism, whether it's lies, abuse, and even kids and family. For some people, their family has become their God. Now, I want you to know that I'm not exempt from this, that I stand before you as a transparent man, and I am reluctant to share with you what my vice is. Let me tell you, in Las Vegas... There is a hotel where this small idol in my life has its own shrine. Because, ladies and gentlemen, I am a chocoholic. Now, I don't know if you understand what the term chocoholic is, but I have never met a chocolate or a piece of chocolate that I didn't like. I have got a serious problem with this thing that stands behind me. I do not get up in the morning and go to the restroom until I have a piece of that chocolate that you see in the screen. I have a problem. And in this particular hotel in Las Vegas, the hotel is called the Bellagio. The Bellagio is this wonderful five-star, $1.4 billion hotel that has a chocolate store tucked in the back. And it has a five-meter sort of cascade, a waterfall of three different chocolates, of milk chocolate, dark chocolate, and, and, and white chocolate. And when I'm driving through Las Vegas, do not be fooled, I do get off the freeway. I do get off the freeway and stop into the Bellagio, and I stick this huge Lebanese nose between the two window panes just to get a whiff of that wonderful cascading chocolate. Yes, indeed, I have a problem. Now, the Lord has helped me get my problem under control. And if you don't think that I had a problem, let me show you the problem that I have. You're going to look at four photographs in the screen, and you won't believe who is in that photograph. That was me 70 pounds ago. 20 years ago, I weighed 245 pounds. So I am half the man that I used to be. God had to deal with me about my eating disorder. And notice how no one is shouting amen. Notice how no one is, is saying hallelujah. And the reason is, is because I know that the Lord begins to deal with those of us who put food in a very high level in our lives. You see, the Bible teaches us that this is not a trash can. 
The Bible teaches us is this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I heard one amen very silently back there. Let me repeat. I'm, I'm speaking scripture to you. This is not a trash can. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so it doesn't matter what area you struggle in. It may be issues that have to do with pornography. It may be some sort of an addiction. It may be your attitude. It may be the way that you are abusive towards your children. Whatever the issue is, you have to recognize it. And once you recognize it, that's when you have to bring it to God. My grandmother was a wonderful woman who was locked in her closet every day after school at six years of age. She was abused by her older brothers and sisters. Her parents, her father had died before she came of age, and so she lived in this abuse every day. Finally, she would say to herself in that closet, you know, when I grow up and I get older, I'm not going to do what they did to me. I'm going to change things. I'm going to break the cycle. She grew up, she got married, had two kids. Later, she was divorced. She got remarried again. She had four kids in total. The youngest happened to be my mother. My mother, when she was 15, became really independent. She wanted to go out with her friends. She started to smoke at 15 years of age. My grandmother became furious, became somewhat of abusive, became to abuse her physically and also emotionally. My mom would say to herself, you know, when I grow up and I get older, I'm not going to do what they did to me. I'm going to do things differently. My mom, when she turned 20, she married my dad, who was a bartender. My dad's in the Bartender's Hall of Fame. My dad has tended bar for 50 years. He's been pouring drinks for 50 years, five decades. The two of them came together. My mom and dad were separated when I was three, divorced when I was nine. When we were living in an isolated town called Big Bear Lake, California, up in the mountains of San Bernardino, my mom, at the age of 15, when I was 15, began to emotionally abused me, and I began to say to myself, you know, when I grow up and when I get older, I'm not going to do what they did to me. I'm going to break this cycle. And I can tell you that my wife and I have been married for 28 wonderful years. We have three wonderful daughters, not because I am somehow capable of breaking my own cycles, but that Jesus Christ is alive and well, and he breaks the chains over sin and death, and he sets the captive free. You are not here by chance. Every one of us understands the cycle of destruction that exists in our own hearts. We might be able to keep it secret, but before God, we can keep nothing secret. And God wants you to understand today that if you love God and keep his commandments, his blessings endure for a thousand generations. That's the kind of legacy that I desire to live. That's what I want to pass on to the generations that follow us. So the second element that we learn today, if you want to break this cycle, make the choice to turn it over to the Lord. Make the choice. Let me tell you something. Faith is not an emotion. It's a choice. Salvation is not an emotion. It is a choice. Forgiveness is not an emotion. It is a choice. And being free, ladies and gentlemen, is not an emotion. It's a choice. You make a choice to turn it over to the Lord. So choose to turn it over to the Lord. This is what the Bible says about the person to whom you turn things over. Peter is talking and he's giving a wonderful description of Jesus' ministry in one verse. It says here in Acts chapter 10 verses 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And how, God, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil 
because God was with him. This is good news for you and me this morning. Because if you walked in the back door and in your private life you are struggling with destructive patterns, there is someone whose name is Jesus and he is anointed with the Holy Spirit and power. He is walking through the streets of Kuala Lumpur. He happens to show up at our doorstep this morning. He is going around doing good, healing all who are under the power of the devil. And why does he do it? Because God is with him. He is here this morning. He is here to bind up the brokenhearted, to set free those who are in captivity. doesn't matter where you are. Make the choice to turn it over to the Lord. A couple years ago, a friend of mine was sharing a story about this family. Now, as you understand, every country has its immigration issues. <laughs> There's not one country wherever, except for maybe Cuba. It's an island in the middle of the Caribbean. So aside from a few sparse countries out there, every country that is connected to other countries has immigration issues. And they have their political ways of dealing with it. Well, in the United States, we are not exempt from that either. In approximately, I don't know, about maybe 70 years ago or so, there was a family, a Mexican family, 11 members in that family, a husband and a wife and nine children. For me, that's not a family. That's a factory. A Mexican factory came across the border, and they landed in California in this valley called the San Joaquin Valley, which is sort of the middle stretch of California. And they came looking to live and experience what we call the American dream. The American dream is moving to this country, establishing your family, giving your children a better education, giving them the opportunity to, to make millions of dollars, buy their, home, their own home, and establish themselves in a prosperous nation. That is the American dream, and live under the freedoms economically, politically, and religiously. That's the American dream. But this family, like many families, came across the border. Instead of finding the American dream, they found the American nightmare. They began to struggle. They couldn't find the kind of prosperity that they were looking for. So the husband, whose name was Felipe, he began to turn to his best friend, which was Jack Daniels, which is a whiskey. And he would seek Jack Daniels every night. And the mother was doing everything she could to simply have the family survive. And one day, her name was Juana. Juana's walking down the street in this valley of San Joaquin, and she sees this big tent. It's a tent. She thinks it's a circus tent. So she walks up to this circus tent, walks in, expecting to see lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. You know, she's expecting to see all the, the different things, trapeze and clowns. And when she walks in, she sees a musical group followed by a preacher. It's an evangelistic campaign. So she doesn't want to, like, interrupt anything. So she sits down in the last row, and she listens to the message, and the preacher gets up, and he says, only Jesus can forgive you of your sins. Only Jesus can set you free and break the patterns of destruction in your life. Give your life to Jesus, and you'll be free today. And tears began to stream down her face. And she got up, and she came down in the front, like many of you will today, and gloriously gave her life to the Lord. So she went back home. When she got back home, her husband said, where have you been? 
She said, I, I was walking down the street and I saw this tent. I thought it was a circus tent, but it wasn't a circus tent. It was an evangelistic campaign and I went in and I heard a message and I gave my heart to Jesus. And he said, listen, woman, if you ever go back to that tent, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my gun. I'm going to grab you by your hair. I'm going to shoot the preacher and I'm going to drag you out by your hair in front of anyone. Do you understand what I'm saying? Well, being a good woman, she decided to go back to the campaign the next night. Finally, about 6 o'clock, Felipe asked the rest of the family, where's your, where's your mother? She went back to the campaign. I told her that if she went back, I was going to get my gun. I was going to shoot the preacher. I was going to grab her by her hair and yank her out of there by her hair in front of everyone. So he grabbed another drink of whiskey. He grabbed his gun. He put his revolver in his pants. He started walking towards that campaign. It started to rain. It never rains in the, in the San Joaquin Valley. And as it began to rain, it rained harder with every step he took. Finally, he got into the tent, and he noticed it was raining so hard, and he didn't want to interrupt anything because of the rain, so he took a seat back in the last row. He heard the message as the preacher stood up and said, Only Jesus can forgive you of your sins. Only Jesus can set you free. Give your life to Jesus, and today you'll be free. And tears began to stream down his cheeks as he heard the gospel for the very first time. He got up, and he came down to the front, and he gloriously received the Lord. Five years later, that family was the very first family that started the very first church of Spanish-speaking origin in the San Fernando, Southern California area. And today, their grandson, who gave his heart to the Lord on the altars of that church, is the superintendent of the Southern California District of the Assemblies of God. They made a choice to break the patterns of destruction. And they are passing on a great legacy to the generations that follow. Thirdly, stop thinking like a victim and start thinking like a child of God. Stop thinking like a victim and start thinking like a child of God. You can choose to be a victim or a victor. The choice is yours. Choose to be a victor over a victim. That choice is yours. A few years back, there was a family who had three little kids. They had to make a choice whether they're going to be victims or victors. This family was interim pastoring in a small church of about 25. The church couldn't afford to have them and put them on full-time salary, so they basically could only pay him perhaps maybe $50 a week. He had to work as an associate professor in a local junior college. Finally, one day, with a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a brand-new baby girl, the wife walks up to the husband and she says, Honey, we have nothing to eat. He says, What do you mean we have nothing to eat? And she responds, What is it about the word nothing that you don't understand? Nothing means nothing. We don't have any pasta, we have no noodles, we have no rice, we have no oil. We have no water, we have no milk, and we don't have any diapers for our daughter. We need a miracle. He said, okay. They could have thrown in the towel. They could have thought, you know what? This is just par for the course for being in ministry, for, trust, for trusting God. They could have been victims or victors. So he said, I'll tell you what we're going to do, honey. We're going to walk through this 
kitchen and we're going to make a list of everything that we need. We're going to write down the diapers. We're going to write down the milk. We're going to write down the formula. We're going to write down the oil. We're going to write down the rice, noodles, everything we need. And we're going to make a long list, and then we're going to pray over that list. And so she went through all the cabinets and made notes of everything that was missing, and they put that list on the kitchen table, and he placed his hand on it, and this is how he prayed. Lord, here is the list of the things we need. We don't know where we're going to get it or the money to buy it, but we believe that you love us, and we believe you will provide. And so we ask that you would provide in Jesus' name, and before he heard the word, before he said the word amen, he heard a knock at the door, at the kitchen door that leads to the outside area. So he walks over to the door, he opens it up, and there's a deacon standing there, and he's got perhaps seven or eight bags of food in his hands. And so he says to the deacon, what are you doing here? He said, you know, my wife and I were out shopping, and while we were grocery shopping, we thought, you know, we should just pick up some extra things for pastor. Maybe pastor needs some milk. Maybe pastor needs some rice. Maybe pastor needs some oil. Maybe pastor needs some spaghetti or some noodles. Maybe pastor needs some diapers. Maybe not for the pastor, but for his kid. Maybe pastor needs, uh, do, do you need any of these things? And the pastor looks at me, can't believe it. He said, well, of course. He said, come on in. He gave him the bags. He said, why don't you stay? He said, no, we'll see you in church tomorrow. And he left. So they emptied out all the bags, and everything that was on that list was sitting on that kitchen table, miraculously provided by God for a victor, not a victim. Now, some of you, now some of you are thinking, because I know, I know, you're saying, to yourself, come on, come on, really? I mean, really? Everything? Everything that was on that list was on that, are you kidding me? How do you know? Well, let me tell you how I know. That that is a true story. I've heard it several times. It appears in my book. It is documented. And the people, that family happened to be my mother and father-in-law. And that baby girl is sitting right here in the front row. So stop thinking like a victim. Start thinking like a child of God. child of God thinks differently than a victim does. And fourthly... Surround yourself with people who will lift you up instead of tear you down. Surround yourself with people who will lift you up instead of tear you down. If you are in this church for the very first time, I give this church my full and unprecedented endorsement because it is filled with people who will pull you up instead of tear you down. Don't surround yourself with people who you like who eventually tear you down instead of build you up. Don't look to other relationships based upon the way you feel or the attraction that exists. Many women are attracted to losers. Many men are attracted to women who are manipulators. Many friends are attracted to the wrong kinds of friends. Instead, look to surround yourself and build relationships with godly people who will pull you up instead of tear you down. This is what the Bible says in James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray... For each other so that you may be healed. 
The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Surround yourself with godly people. Now, when I was, I don't know, I guess when we were living in Costa Rica at the time, it was a few years ago, the climate in Costa Rica is not as hot as it is here because we're relatively close to the coast, are we not? I'm not sure what the altitude, the Costa Rica where we lived, the altitude was about 1,500 to 1,700 meters, so it was slightly cooler, but the humidity here in Costa Rica is basically the same because it's very close to the equator. And so it was a warm climate, and we celebrate Christmas with our family. It was Christmas Eve. My wife and I had prepared a wonderful evening. She had lit eight candles in the living room. She had garland at the base of all the candles. She had prepared turkey, and she asked me to read Luke chapter 2. So I read Luke chapter 2, which is the story of Jesus' birth. The girls were dressed in their most elegant dresses. They had sparkles on. They had painted their nails. They'd done their hair, and they were all excited. And after reading Luke chapter 2, we went into the kitchen and ate the turkey. And, and then after that, my wife asked me to go back into the living room and blow out all the candles, which I did. And then we watched Home Alone. <laughs> You know, I say that in every country. Everybody laughs. I don't know why everybody laughs when I say it, and we watched Home Alone. And after we watched Home Alone, we went to bed. Now, we don't open up our gifts on Christmas Eve. We open up our gifts on Christmas Day. And the reason why we do that is because my wife and I love to torture our daughters. And they felt so tortured. They were just thrashing back and forth in their beds all night long. They just couldn't wait till the next day because they know Christmas Day, first thing in the morning, they get to get up and open up their gifts. Now, the rule is the first kid up gets to say, hey, we're going to open up our gifts. And so when the kids get up, we still put, st start opening up our gifts. But like I mentioned to you before, God put a conviction in my heart that this is called the temple of the Holy Ghost. It is not a trash can. So this trash I'm sorry, this, <laughs> this temple is working Monday through Friday. I'm going to run. I am a jogger. Now, I'm only going to jog maybe probably four or five kilometers, but it's going to work. I'm going to put this thing to work. Even though it's Christmas Day, which fell on a Friday, if it's Monday through Friday, I'm going to, I'm going to run. So I got up as early as I could. The kids were still asleep. And I went for my run. The climate, like it is here, is hot and humid, which means that when I got back to the house, am I smelling pretty? No. No, I'm stinky daddy when I walk through that door. I am sweating from head to toe. My desire was to get into the shower and, and simply shower myself off before we opened up our gifts. Because I don't want to sit in my own sweat for an hour and a half. But I know what the rule is. First kid up gets to announce that we're opening up our gifts. Well, Jasmine, our youngest daughter, had heard me when I left. She heard the door close. So when I got back, she was waiting with me. She was waiting for me at the door. The German shepherd, our dog Sasha, is sitting next to her, waiting at attention, waiting for me to get back. And as soon as I walk through the door, Jasmine screams out to the rest of the house, Dad's home! It's time to open up our gifts! Now I know what the rule is, so she grabs me by the hand and leads me into the living room. For an hour and a half, I have to watch them as they open up their gifts. And finally, after 90 minutes, I can't stand myself. You know you smell bad when you can't stand your smell. So I said, well, Stinky Daddy is calling it a day. I got to go get in the shower. You guys keep opening up your gifts. So they began to wrap up the festivities, and I jumped into the shower, and I did in the shower what I imagine you do in the shower, although I've never seen you take a shower. 
I turned on the water, which is where most people start, is it not? And I applied the shampoo, I applied the soap, I shaved, I brushed my teeth, I got rid of the shampoo, got rid of the soap, turned off the water, opened the shower door, grabbed a towel, and I'm drying myself off. I am 75% of the way of drying myself off when I hear the voice of my oldest daughter yelling from the living room, and she says, Mom, Dad, get here quick! There's a fire in the living room! Now, when you hear fire, living room, Christmas time, I don't have to explain to you what's going on. You automatically think or at least visualize what's happening. And that is that the Christmas tree is an inferno. It's a blaze. Something caught on fire and we're going to lose the whole house. So without thinking twice, I take that towel, which is 75% soaked, and I wrap it around my waist. Without thinking twice, I run into my bedroom from the master bathroom, and I turn right and head down the hallway, and I can see huge mushroom clouds of smoke filling the entire house and the entire hallway, and I'm expecting the worst inferno in our family's history. So as I go running as fast as I can, I jump into the sunken living room and I land right in front of the Christmas tree and it's perfectly intact. It's not in flames. I begin to search. I begin to look around and I see the source of the flame, which is where the garland was wrapped around one of the candle holders. The garland, that green decoration, was on fire and the, and the flame was crawling up the wall. It was about a meter from touching the curtains and on top of the curtains was an old dry wood ceiling. I know I've got maybe 90 seconds to put that flame out because if I don't, we're going to lose the whole house. So I run over as fast as I can, and I begin to look for anything I could use to extinguish the flame. What could I use? Maybe a pillow, maybe a blanket. And then I remembered I had a wet towel on, so I ripped that baby off. And I begin to pound that flame as hard as I can. And when the flame goes out, I slam the towel down in victory. And there I stood in all of my glory. I turn around and my three daughters are standing there like this. I thought, man, they're going to need therapy after seeing that. They could see any movie, any horror movie. It wouldn't affect them at all. They could see the Lord of the Rings. Nothing would affect them after seeing Dad do that. So I walk back to my room making this announcement. I was rather proud of myself, to be honest with you. I mean, look what I did. I, I saved the family. And I did it naked. So, so, so I said, ladies, keep your eyes closed. The naked fireman's got to get dressed. Went back to the room. I got dressed. Came back. No one has said a word. No one is impressed and no one has said a word. I'm determined to find out who was playing with matches. I want to know who was playing with matches. So I raised my voice. Which one of you was playing with matches? Tell me right now, which girl was playing with matches? No one said a word. I said, the only flame that I'm aware of was a flame that, is, that was in each and, one of the, each and every one of those candles and when my wife lit the candles, when we were done eating the turkey, she asked me to blow out the candles, and I blew them all out. 
except that one. Ah, but what happened? I remember. I remember going around. I, I, to this night, I, I remember. But I remember finally as I saw that last candle, I was about five meters away. It didn't have any light. But the fact that a candle doesn't have light does not mean it's not lit. And we've all seen the little blue flames that could, and that one did. That little blue flame burnt all night long, and the fact that it didn't split the candle in two and burn down the house when we were asleep at 3 o'clock in the morning is something we call the grace of God. We are all here because of the grace of God. You exist, you breathe, you have the life that you have because of God's grace. Not because of intelligence or become you're somehow talented. You exist because of God's grace. But the lesson here is if it wasn't for the eyes of our oldest daughter screaming out from the living room, there's a fire in the living room, get here quick, we would have lost the whole house. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit calls out to us through people who surround us, who pull us up instead of tear us down. The Holy Spirit speaks to us through the Word of God. The Holy Spirit speaks to us through words like today that are calling out to us and says, there is a fire in your life. Put it out now because if you don't, you might lose your whole life. If you don't believe me, you can ask celebrities like Tiger Woods, athletes, and different presidents like Bill Clinton who thought in their secret life they could manage that little blue flame. But the impact of that mistake has been felt for years. Ask Jimmy Swaggart one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century, who thought that little blue flame, he could manage it. But once it gets out of control, not, not even all the fire, firemen of the nation or the world could put out the flame. Can't control the damage. So here's the lesson. It's better to be a naked fireman, stand before the Lord as a naked fireman, put that little blue flame out today, then leave this morning thinking that the generations that follow you won't be impacted. The Lord is here to help you overcome the issues that you are facing, to help you break the chain so that you can experience the blessings of God and pass on the blessings of God to the generations that follow you. Every time you said, you know, I don't want to do what was done to me. I want to be different than my parents. I want to do things differently. I want to break the cycle. That prayer, friend, originates in the heart of God but it cannot be fulfilled unless you partner with God. That is your only salvation. Father, we thank you for your wonderful presence. And thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing. And I ask, Lord, this morning that you would do miracles. You would heal those who desperately need healing. And you would bind up the brokenhearted. But we pray, Lord, that this morning... The generations that follow us would call us blessed. For a thousand generations of those who love you, I pray that that transformation would start this morning. I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name, and I pray, Lord, that you would do the miraculous. You would do the impossible. That you would change our hearts this morning. We ask, Lord, that you'd be glorified in everything that you desire to do. I thank you. And I praise you. Friend, at this morning, this message about passing on the blessings of God to the generations that follow you. You desire not to pass on the baggage, pass on the baggage and the chains and the 
the vices and all the different patterns of destruction that you maybe even have inherited or maybe they're even starting with you. You don't want to pass those on to the next generation. You want the Lord to erase that. You want Him to break it this morning so that the generations that follow you will be blessed and walk in the blessings of God. And when the history books are written, they will, they will bless you and speak the blessings of God upon you and the choices you made today. If that's your desire, I want you to simply slip up your hand. Your desire is to walk in the blessings of God and break the cycle. Slip up your hand. and Pass on the blessings of God and slip up your hand. I'm going to ask each and every one of you, I know there's many of you this morning that desire to do that. I'm going to ask everyone to stand with me. Stand to your feet with me. Everyone in this sanctuary, if you would be so kind as to stand. We're going to pray that the Lord would break the cycles. We're going to pray that God breaks the destructive patterns. Many of you this morning have indicated that you need that to happen. We're going to speak the blessings of God and healing and deliverance upon your life. Before we do any of those things, if you, need to make, if you need to make Jesus Lord of your life this morning, if you and I were having perhaps some tea or a cup of coffee in your favorite location, just the two of us, you might say to me, Jason, my life is not right with God. I'm not walking with Christ today. I need to give my life to Christ. I need to follow God. I need to, I need to begin a relationship with Christ before we do anything else. And as we bring this encounter to a semi-conclusion, although the Spirit of God is going to continue to do great things, your desire is to make Jesus Lord of your life, give your life to Christ, begin a new life with Him. You want to take His hand and have Him walk you through that storm. I'm going to ask you to take a second and slip up your hand. I want to pray with you. Slip up your hand. I want to pray with you. Slip up your hand. And do not lower that hand. I want you to keep that hand in the air. Do not lower that hand. Keep that hand in the air. There's probably 25 of you or so, somewhere in that category. I'm going to ask all of you who have just raised your hand, I'm going to ask you to come down here to the front. And I'm going to ask you to come with your hand in the air. Please do not lower that hand. I'm going to ask the ushers to help me bring and escort those who have raised their hand. I'm going to ask you to leave the place where you're standing and make your way down here to the front. You need to begin a new life with Christ today. You need to give your life to Christ today. You are not walking in the ways of the Lord. You need to begin that relationship today. I want you to leave the place where you're standing. And I want you to come down here to the front. And you can be so kind as to simply face me in this direction. You don't have to face that way. You can face this way. I ask you to come down at this moment. An opportunity to pray with you and bless you before we bring this service to a conclusion. Leave the place where you're standing and make your way down here to the front. The Lord is here in this place. 
He's come to do wonderful things in our midst. The love of God is in this place. His power and His backing is in this place. begin a relationship with Christ begin a new life begin again not walking with the Lord and you want that destructive sinful pattern in your life to be broken so you can begin a relationship with Christ I want you to come forward to simply ask the pastors and the pastoral staff to intercede. I'm going to ask all the leadership to intercede. Just ask you to intercede. To come against any opposition that these wonderful people are facing. I'm going to give you just another 30 seconds to make your way from the balcony or the main floor to give yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ this morning. Your life will be different. Your life will be transformed. Begin a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning. The Spirit of the Lord is in this place. He is here in this place. I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask everyone to repeat this prayer with me. It doesn't matter if you're already a Christian. I'm going to ask you to say it with me anyway. From the drummer all the way to the sound person, I'm going to ask everyone to say this prayer with me, including the camera operators. We're all going to pray the sinner's prayer, the prayer of repentance this morning. We're all going to start over again. But specifically with these who are here up front, I want you to say it with a lot of authority. Say it, mean it from your heart. Say it with me. Jesus, I come before you. Jesus, I come before you. With a repentant heart. With a repentant heart. I give my life to you. I give my life to you. On this 17th of September. On this 17th of September. I want to be born again. I want to be born again. Cleanse me of all sin. Cleanse me of all sin. Cleanse me of all impurity. Cleanse me of all impurity. I give my life to you. I give my life to you. I surrender to your lordship. Surrender to your Lordship. I know that you were crucified. I know that you were crucified. You died on the cross. You died on the cross. You were later you were later buried in a tomb. But you rose again on the third day. But you rose again on the third day. And you reign on the right by the right hand of the Father. And you reign by the right hand of the Father. I give my life to you. I give my life to you. 
the risen Christ, the risen Christ on, this day. on this day. Cleanse me of all sin so that I can walk with you in harmony with you as a clean person, free from sin, free from addiction, and free from sinful patterns. In Jesus' mighty name, fill me with your love. Save my life and redeem me this day, this day that I am born again. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Amen.